Well, hello, everybody. I'd like to add my welcome. Now, I don't have to tell you what time of year it is, because it's pretty obvious if you look around, if you go on the streets, and if you're in school, it's pretty obvious what time of year it is. And there are a lot of things that people love about Christmas. But there's one thing that most people love more than anything, and that is the man that it's all about. If you look around the streets, you'll see pictures of him everywhere. There are songs about him. There are films about him. And on Christmas Day, it's all a celebration about him coming near to us and giving us the greatest of gifts. Now, who am I talking about? Thomas? Jesus? No, I'm not. I'm talking about this fella. Of course. Santa Claus. Now, I think you know that that's not the real meaning of Christmas. But a lot of people think that Santa is a lot like God. The way people view God is a lot like the way that they view Santa. Now, we're going to look at four simple things that people think that is true of God, that is true of Santa. So is God really like Santa? Now, before we get to it, I need a bit of help from you guys here at the front. What does Santa look like? Can you describe him to me? Give me some things, Jonathan. He has a belt on. He has a belt, that's fine. Brilliant. Name? Fat. He's fat. Brilliant. <laughs> Sam? He wears a red suit. A red suit. Anything else? How would you describe Santa? What do you like? What does he do? What does he ride on? Jonathan? A sleigh and Rudolph. A sleigh and Rudolph, exactly. Name? Um, gives presents. Gives presents. Sam, one more thing? has a big beard. Now, if you went to Holland and asked the little children there, what is Santa Claus like? They wouldn't say he looks like this. They'd in fact say he looks like this. Now, he looks a bit weird, doesn't he? He's not fat. He's thin. He's got a funny hat on. He hasn't got reindeers or sleigh. He's got a horse. Now, if you went to Russia and asked the little children in Russia, what's Santa like? They'd say he looks a bit like this. Now that's very different, isn't it? And in fact, wherever you go in the world and you asked all the children of the world, what is Santa like? They might say very different things. Now, all around the world, there might be different versions of Santa Claus. You might say Santa Claus is like this, but then other people would say, no, he's like this. Now, here's the first thing about Santa Claus. It's this. Santa can be whoever you want him to be. If you want him to be fat, he can be fat. If you want him to be thin, he can be thin. Horse, reindeer, whatever, it doesn't matter. Now, what's the problem with that? The problem with that is this. Well, is that what God is really like? See, people might think, you can have your version of God. And he's like this. But I can have my version of God. And he's a little bit different. So how can we really know what God is like? Hmm. Well, he tells us in the Bible what he is like. Now imagine all of the musicians over there had a little meeting at the end. And they said, now, Josh, see Thomas there. He's on the drums. I think, imagine this. Thomas said, I think Josh, I think he's Irish, you know. And Ellie said, no, don't be silly, Josh, he's Chinese, he's not Irish. 
But then Susanna said, are you serious? I thought he was black. But then Pastor Ian comes over and says, actually, guys, you're all right. Josh can be whatever you want him to be. Now, is that silly? It's a little bit silly. Now, what is true about me is fixed. It's settled. It's not up for debate. And it's the same with God. There are things that are true about him. There are things that are not true about him. But it's settled. It's fixed. Now, here are three things that the Bible tells us God is definitely like. Let's have a look. God is holy. Now, there's a verse from the Bible here. 1 Timothy 6. It says, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light. Now, there are a lot of big words there. Sovereign. If you're sovereign over everything, that means that you have complete control. But answer me this. Have you ever had the hiccups? You've got both. Great. Well, with hiccups, can you control your hiccups? You've got a cough, you can't control your cough, can you? We think sometimes we like to control things in our lives. We think we can control things. But we can't even control our hiccups. We can't even con control our coughs, our bodies, our blinking, our sleeping. But God is the only sovereign. And it says also, he alone has immortality. All of us have to breathe, we have to eat, we have to sleep, we have to drink, but God alone has life, he has immortality. And he dwells in unapproachable light. We can't just go up to him, he dwells in unapproachable light. He's holy, that means he's completely separate and special from everything else in all of creation. Now here's number two, God is good. And here's another verse from the Bible. Exodus 34, this is God speaking. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the merciful and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now imagine how powerful God is. Wouldn't it be a horrible world if that God was evil? No, but the Bible says God is good. He's completely good. And here's the third thing. God is just. And a short verse from the Bible, from Psalm 7:11, which says, God is a just judge. That means he'll always be fair. He'll always do what is right. If there is wrongdoing, he won't just let it slide, but he will deal with it. So who God is, is fixed. We can't change it to suit ourselves. It's fixed and it's settled. Now, second thing about Santa is this. Santa rewards you if you're good. So on Christmas morning, if you come down stairs and you find a present. Now, there's a song we sing about Santa Claus, which is he's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Exactly. And if you're good, if you've behaved throughout the year, then Santa will give you what you deserve. He will give you a present for all your good behavior. Now, is that what God is like, is the question we've got to ask. Well, here's what the Bible says. Psalm 53 says this. It says, God looks down from heaven upon all the children of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. And do you know what God concludes? It's this. Every one of them has turned aside. 
They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Hmm. Do you know that God has a naughty list, if you like? Would you like to know who's on it? Everybody. Every single one of us. God doesn't give those who are good a reward because of all our goodness is never good enough. We can try and try as hard as we like, but all of our goodness can never earn us anything. Now, you might say, well, hang on. I'm not that bad. I know some people in my class. I know some people at work. They are wrong. They're not like me. I'm pretty good. I'm not a sinner like the Bible says. Come on. But Revelation 21.8 says this. All liars have their part in the lake of fire. Have you ever lied? Well, there's one. There's your first. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 10 says, No thief will inherit the kingdom of God. Have you ever taken anything? Matthew 5:28, Jesus says, "If anyone looks at someone with lust in their heart, then they have committed adultery with them in their mind." Have you ever looked with lust? That's just three of the Ten Commandments. So how are you doing? See, if God has made a brain, he can see what he's made. All of the secret things that we think are hidden from God are completely open. All the things that we've done and tried to hide away, God can see. There's nothing hidden from him. And sin is not just what you do. It's not just bad things that mean you do. Sin, the Bible says, is at the very core of who we are. Sin is not just a behavior, but it's a nature. It's who we are inside. Now, can you remember the three things that we said about what God was like? What were they? Name? Just. Just. Sam? Good. And what's the last one, Chloe? Holy. Holy, exactly. God is good, God is holy, and God is just. Now, there was a pastor named Paul Washer, and he was speaking in front of a big crowd at a college, loads of college students, and he said this. I'm going to tell you, Paul Washer said, the most terrifying truth about God in all of the Bible. And everyone thought, ooh, what's he going to say? And he said, God is holy, God is good, and God is just. And people in the crowd started thinking, that's not that bad. How's that terrifying? And someone shouted out, what's wrong with that? What's the problem with God being holy, good, and just? And Paul Washer said, the problem is, you are not. So you might say that God being holy, good, and just is good. But if you look at me, I'm not. And this is what Paul Washer said. He said, what does a holy, good, and just God do with a sinner like you? Now you might say, wait, hang on. I thought God was forgiving them. Doesn't God 
forgive people? Doesn't he let people off, right? He'll let me off. Now, if I were murdered, imagine that, and the murderer went to the court and the judge let him off and let him free, you'd be outraged. Now, how is it that you would condemn a judge for letting a criminal go free and yet you expect God to let you off for your sin? God's perfect holiness, perfect goodness and perfect justice means that there must be a punishment for sin. Now, Here's the third thing about Santa. Santa punishes you if you're bad. So if you're good and if you behave, then Santa gives you a reward. But do you know what will happen? What do you find in your stocking or your sack if you haven't behaved? Name? Coal. Coal. Exactly. So Santa says this. If you're bad, then you don't get rewarded, you get punished. Now, is that what God is like? Well, if God doesn't give heaven as a reward to those who are good, you might say, does God then give punishment to those who aren't good? And the answer is yes. But God's punishment is far more terrifying. Here's one of the verses we looked at before, Psalm 7, 11. Now, we only looked at the first half of that verse. God is a just judge. Now, the second part says, and God is angry with the wicked every day. That's you. That is you. You have offended and rebelled against the almighty God of the universe who holds your next breath in his hand. And like a good judge condemns a guilty criminal, God, for your sin, will rightly crush you in hell for all of your sin against him. And he must. His goodness, his holiness and his justice demands that he must. God has a bad list and you're on it. Did you know God has a good list? Would you like to know who's on that? Only Jesus. Now, do you know what God did so that guilty sinners like you, like me, won't deserve the hell that they deserve? Well, we've heard it already tonight. God prepared a plan where he would send his only son to be born as a baby. Here's one of the verses we've read already tonight. She will bring forth a son and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The promised hope that would save his people from all of their sins came into the world to be with us who've sinned against him and to dwell with us who've rejected him. But Jesus didn't stay in the manger, did he? 
Here's another verse from Luke. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Jesus grew from a child into a man, and as he lived as a man, we read in the Bible that he was tempted in every way, just like me and you. Every way that we see opportunities for sin, Jesus saw opportunities for him to sin as well. Yet, he never once did. Jesus never once sinned. Now that means two things. One, he doesn't have punishment against his name. And two, he has God's favour and righteousness against his name. He lived a perfectly sinless life like you and I failed to live. And he kept all of God's commandments. And then, as a shock to most of his disciples who followed him, he then willingly went to the cross. He suffered and he died, he bled. And he suffered and died the way that a sinner should die. So the question now is, if Jesus never once sinned, why did he die the death of a sinner? And it's because, out of God's great mercy and love, Jesus died to take the judgment, to take the punishment, to take the anger and wrath of God against all of your sin upon himself. That is why Jesus died. So if you here are saved this evening, that is because when Christ was on the cross, dying, hanging alone, bleeding, all of your sins were placed upon Jesus. All of the wrongdoing that you've done was heaped upon his head and then the holy hatred of God for all of your wrongdoing was put upon Jesus and Jesus was crushed instead of you. The whole reason Jesus was born was so that he would one day die. There's a pastor named John MacArthur who said, Jesus' little hands, his little baby hands were formed so that one day nails would be driven through them. The little head of the baby was formed so that a crown of thorns would be pushed onto it. His tender little side was formed so that a spear would be thrust into it. Jesus' birth was because Jesus had to die. Now, Paul, the apostle, writes this verse. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and to deal with sin, God condemned sin in the flesh. Now, do not miss this. God condemned sin in the flesh. Whose sin? My sin. Whose flesh? Jesus' flesh, all of my sin has been condemned in the body of Jesus. So that means for me that I am free, that I am forgiven. All of my sin was heaped upon his head. All of the judgment that I deserve from God was placed upon Jesus. 
But, as you know, Jesus didn't stay dead. And three days later, he rose from the grave and ascended into heaven. And he commands everybody, as we heard this morning, if you were here, to confess their sins, to turn to God, and to trust in him. And to trust in him to do something that you cannot ever do yourself. Now, here are two pictures. What have we got up there? What's on the left? What's on your left, Sam? A person skydiving. A person skydiving. And what's he got strapped to his back? Yep, parachute. a parachute. And what's on the right? Name? A surgeon. A surgeon. Now, what has a parachute and a surgeon, what have they got in common? What would you think? Hmm. Sam? They both save people. Exactly. They both save people. And they both have the ability to do something that you cannot do, which is save you. If you were skydiving, as Sam said, if you were jumping out of a plane, you need something to do what you don't have the ability to do, which is take you safely to the ground. If you go in for an operation, you need the surgeon to do something that you can't do. And that is heal you and save you. My friends, Jesus Christ is the only one who has the ability to do something that you can never do. And that is for you to be forgiven. He is the only one who can give you forgiveness. And so the same way that you would rely on, you would trust in a parachute or a surgeon, you must trust your whole life, everything that you have, onto Jesus. Why would you trust in yourself to do something that you cannot do? So Jesus Christ is the only one who can save. This is what we deserve, the punishment of God. And yet for those who repent and trust in Christ, not only does Jesus take your punishment onto himself, but he gives you his righteousness. He gives you his perfectness. All of the guiltiness that I have is taken off me and put on him. All of the evil that I have is taken off me and is born and um, punished. Jesus is punished for all of the things I've done. My guiltiness is gone and I'm given his innocence. My coal, if you like, is gone and I'm given Jesus's perfectness. Now, there was a man who was a pastor in America who recently died. His name was R.C. Sproul, and he said this. One more, Charlie. He said this. The only way that sinners... Now listen to this. The only way that sinners can get past the gates of heaven is by wearing the robes of somebody else's righteousness. You have no righteousness of your own. And the only way that you can be right with God is for the righteousness of Christ to cover you, to cover me. My friend, do you see how vile your sin is? 
Do you see how vile your sinful heart is? Not just your behaviour, but the very core of you. Do you see the depth of the love that Jesus had? That he would die to make his enemies into his children? Do you see that? Do you see how much you need him? Because once someone turns from their sin, once someone repents and puts their trust in Christ, then when God looks at them, he no longer sees a guilty sinner who needs to pay for their debt. Instead, he looks at them and says, there is my child who has been forgiven. Their debt has forever been paid because of what my son has done in dying to destroy their death and in rising to restore their breath. So God looks at you and sees innocent instead of guilty. Now, last thing, and then we're done. Here's the final thing about Santa. It's this. You know when he's coming. Santa always comes, like clockwork, on the night before Christmas. But is God like that? With Santa, you know he's coming on the 24th, so you can clean up your act. You can try and get a few good deeds in. And then when he comes, you'll be fine. Is God like that? The Bible says no. None of us know when God will return. None of us know when our lives will end. Here's a little fact for you. The human heart beats in a lifetime, a whole lifetime, about three billion times. You've got three billion beats to get through and then once it stops and that's it. You don't know when that will happen to you. I don't know when that will happen to me. Chris Wilcock didn't know when that would happen to him. Are you ready for that day? See, you can never clean up your act. You can never be good. You can never do enough. You can never try hard enough for God to be pleased and God to say, yes, this is a good man. No, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of God's great goodness, Wherever there is sin, in the darkest part of my heart, he must punish. But God so loved the wretched sinful world that we live in, that he sent his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not die like they deserve, but will receive everlasting life. So are you ready for that day? Be ready for that day. You know, in 100 years' time, every single person on this, in this room will be dead. Three members of this church in the last year have died. Some we've expected, some we've not expected. What will 2018 hold for you? Be ready for that day. Trust in Christ. You can never get into heaven by yourself. You can never do it. Even if you've heard a message like this a thousand times, even if this is the first time you've ever heard it, 
be ready for that day. This might be the final time I ever stand up here at the front. I don't know. This might be the final time you ever hear someone tell you this. I don't know. Be ready for that day.